Welcome to the Pets Who Thrive podcast, where we cover all areas of natural animal health and challenge what we've been conditioned to think regarding how to raise and keep a healthy pet. My name is Tammy. I'm an entrepreneur and a certified animal naturopath with a passion for animals and empowering other pet owners with tools for creating the healthiest version of your amazing pets. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I am very excited about our guest uh, that we have on today. Dr. Chris Besant is here. She practices holistic veterinary medicine, utilizing Chinese herbs, acupuncture, food therapy, and chiropractic on all animals. She's also the founder of Herbsmith Inc., a fantastic line of supplements. And Dr. Besson is here today um, talking to us with the focus on bladder um, and the health of bladder. So it comes up over and over at, at my store, and I am I'm very excited to have to have you on today. So welcome. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I guess we'll just go ahead and get started and dive into some of the, the um, topics here. And The first one I really wanted to find out is, as a veterinarian, what are some of the most common themes you see regarding bladder issues with your feline and canine patients? Yeah, it's generally two things. So it's either a hot, inflamed um, UTI cystitis, or it's those older dogs who have urinary incontinence. Mm. And... So generally speaking, if it's a a younger pet, cat or dog, that's having some urinary issues, it tends to be um, hot, inflammatory, generally involving the bladder and then inappropriate urinations or in dogs, for example, having to go to the bathroom a lot. So Mm. avoiding small amounts of urine, but very frequently. Sure. Okay. And, and do you notice that when they have this hot inflamed bladder, is there typically an infection present as well? You know, it's interesting. We, uh, we automatically think that. Um, so if it's the, if it's a kitty, they're going to the litter box frequently and voiding small amounts of urine. If it's a dog, they're going outside and voiding small amounts of urine frequently but not they're not always they always they don't always have an infection. So if you call your veterinarian and you would go into your veterinarian, they would um, get a urine sample. So either you're bringing that sample in or they're doing it by um, cystocentesis, which is um, putting a needle into the bladder and drawing mm-hmm. fluid out. There are many times that the the urine itself is sterile but the environment of the bladder is inflamed. So that's considered a sterile cystitis, meaning that they don't have um, bacteria in the the bladder at that time, but they do have inflammation in the bladder. And almost always there's some abnormal changes to the pH of the bladder as well. So generally we assume that there's infection. And we generally tend to treat for infection. So in veterinary medicine, we would see all the um, the 
the indicators that there's inflammation within the bladder. And even if the um, culture turns up negative, most veterinarians will treat with antibiotics. And interesting, as you were saying, Tammy, I look at things from a holistic viewpoint. So as a Western trained veterinarian, but then also I'm trained in traditional Chinese medicine and traditional Chinese medicine would say that there's damp heat and there's inflammation within the, within the um, bladder. Mm-hmm. And Western medicine would say that there's uh, inflammation and most likely an infection in the bladder. So hmm. I would look at it from both perspectives. The interesting part about that is antibiotics kill bacteria but it's also considered the coldest of all foods. And if you know anything about food energetics, it's kind of, you want to balance it. So Mm -hmm. you want to, you want to take an animal, for example, that's way too hot and give them foods that would cool them down. And so using antibiotics and having improvement, even if there is not bacteria, even if there's not an infection in the bladder, is helpful because it's a really cold food. Hmm. So, but as, as you well know, there's so much more than just antibiotics. I mean, I think that is where most pet owners start and most veterinarians start, but then there's so much more that we can do and so much more that we should do to maintain it. Because to me, I think of it as kind of the tip of the iceberg, right? That the bacteria invaded because it could. Mm -hmm. And so almost always, not always, but oftentimes the bacteria that invades is E. coli. And E. coli, of course, is in stool. So um, the urethra is exiting from the body in both cats and dogs. Uh, near the anus where stool is is evacuated as well. Um, but part of E. coli is it has these little fingers in, and those little fingers can kind of go into the inflamed wall of the bladder. And that's how it sets up shop. Hmm. So, so is the E. coli a bad bacteria that is invading the the urinary tract, yes, but is the urinary tract a perfect place for that bacteria to grow? Yes. And yeah, yeah. so what I would say is I would look at it and say deeper than that is, yeah, we want to kill the bacteria because that's not good. But then we need to take it a step further and correct the underlying issue within the bladder that is allowing the opportunity for that blat for that um, bacteria to cause the infection. Sure, and that's kind of the step that Western veterinary medicine doesn't really think about. From a Western veterinary med- medical perspective, we give them antibiotics, and and the body does the rest. Mm-hmm. As you well know, as a nutritionist and as somebody who is um, seeing pets where health and wellness is an issue, you know that bladder infections tend to recur. 
over and over and over. And why do they recur? Because we never get to the root of it. We never either change their their diet so that it's not a pro-inflammatory diet, or we never fully get rid of the inflammation within the bladder. So then the bacteria just comes back again. And this can be as sad as it sounds. This this can be recurrent infection or a recurrent uh, condition in pets that happen over and over and over again. And and what a shame when there are so many things that we can do to fix that. Most definitely. So speaking of that, what do you feel are some of the common causes of, of I guess, bladder dysbiosis or imbalance? Um, what do you yeah. see are some of those common causes? Well, I, I, I think the absolute root of it is diet. Mm-hmm. And that, so let's go, we talked about bladder infection, but let's talk about crystals as well. Mm, yes. um, because it, in this um, bad environment that allows the bacteria to grow, there's inflammation, but there's also changes in pH. So the acidity of the urine within the bladder. And then there's also um, different minerals that are excreted in the urine. And it's this perfect storm between an inflamed bladder wall, uh, elevated pH, and then dropping in magnesium into the bladder that causes struvite crystals and struvite stones and this inflammation in the bladder to occur over and over again. So the root of it is, is diet. And, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir because if you, if they're listening to this podcast, they already, most pet owners already have this idea that there's so much more that we can do about Mm -hmm. being proactive pet parent, but it all comes back down to species appropriate diets. Absolutely. And how, we don't feed cats and dogs, really don't feed cats the way that they should be fed. So of course, you know, there's always that balance of how expensive is food and you're, nobody ever says they buy bad food. They all, everybody always feels like they buy the best food they can. And some people think that their food is absolutely the best, but ultimately it's about feeding too high a carbohydrate food to carnivores. Absolutely. So cats are absolutely carnivores. Dogs are scavenger carnivores that have adapted to living with omnivores like Mm -hmm. us. Uh, But ultimately, high carbohydrate diets, which tend to be higher in grains and carbohydrates in general, so that would be like potatoes and different starches, they tend to have high magnesium. And what is the source of all these struvite crystals that develop? It's magnesium. So the, and then take it a step back further and say, okay, we know that it's not species appropriate. We know that it's too high in carbohydrates, which kitties have a hard time metabolizing and dogs do to a point as well. Um, But then you add that into this already inflamed bladder, and then you've got a pro-inflammatory environment within the body, 
because mm-hmm. of the high carbohydrates, the inability of cats in particular to be able to um, fully utilize all this excessive glucose that they take in. Now you have this really pro-inflammatory environment within the whole body, and then we're seeing it reflected in the urine. And then mm-hmm. it's just this downward cascade where you have inflammation throughout the body. You have inflammation of the bladder. You have the pH is elevated. The magnesium is being excreted from the kidney into the bladder and now making this kind of perfect place for this crystallization of struvite crystals. And then those struvite crystals are can in hand a kind of accumulate like a snowball mm-hmm. into a stone. And what does that do? That causes more inflammation. Right. And so it's just this spiral of events that repeatedly happens that is all stemming from their diet. Absolutely. So, um, Speaking of that and the pH, can you talk a little bit more about how important, you know, certain pH levels are to the health um, and the environment of the bladder? Yeah, it's so, it's huge. And I think people get, um, and I do, and I do too, (laughs) you get confused about high pH and low pH and what's good and what's bad. Yes. And, and I literally have to write it down all the time and think about it, but Think of uh, water as a pH of seven. So that's neutral. That's even. And dogs need to be, their urinary pH should be somewhere between seven to 7.5. So slightly on the acidic side. So acid is high pH and alkaline is low pH. Okay. I think that's where yes, it's <laughs> everybody, confusing. including myself, are always like, oh, which one is which? Right. Um, <laughs> cats being obligate carnivores tend to be more on the acidic side. So their pH should be somewhere between 6.3 and 6.6. Hmm. So if their pH gets too high, it lends to struvite crystals forming. So just like ice crystals that form, you have to have the right environment for those crystals to form. And so the way to stop that is to lower the pH in the bladder. And and what is one of the absolute best foods for lowering the pH is cranberries. Mm. And the best way to think of that, cranberries are, are acidic and they're tart. And they bring the pH down. And just like um, adding heat to to snow formations, it kind of melts away those struvite crystals. And then it can be excreted with the urine. Um, Here's And and the majority of pets, dogs and cats, they're struvite crystals. So their pH is too high. Mm -hmm. They're too alkaline. And we want to bring their pH down. And for me, I best think of it as, as I know cranberry helps them. And why does cranberry help? Because it's acidic. So therefore, the opposite is 
right. happening when they have struvite crystals. If you over overdo the cranberry, so now you're dropping the pH way too low and causing too acidic of an environment, mm-hmm. then you can lend to the develop of oxalate stones. So now you get oxalate crystals and oxalate stones, and you've got the complete opposite. Fortunately, the majority of pets out there, I would say at least 90% are struvite crystals. Mm-hmm. Oxalate crystals happen when um, particular breeds that are more prone to it, or there are urate crystals as well, which is a, and urate stones, which is kind of a unique and very, very, very small percentage of animals. That's usually Dalmatians. Um, but the other way that these oxalate stones happen is when people overdo the cranberry. So, or they're using a prescription diet from their veterinary clinic, and then they're adding cranberry on top of it and adding lots of things to it. And Mm -hmm. now kind of really reversing the pH to the urine. But I would say pH is pretty much pH is one of those factors that are so important for crystals to form, so important for stones to develop, and so important for this irritable, inflamed inner lining to the bladder. And that I I think that we're, as a veterinary profession, really good at bringing down the really extreme inflammation in the bladder, but we never completely bring it down. Hmm. And that's how you tend to get it reoccurring and reoccurring. And then if you don't, if you don't know about um, species appropriate diets and you don't change their diet, you're just spinning your wheels. You know, and unfortunately, even though I'm a veterinarian, I think the the diets that are just for urinary disease in cats and dogs, they're really based on changing the pH. But if you notice those, if you look at the ingredient tech on those bags, they're super high carbohydrate diets. Sure. So they don't really get to the root of it. So, and, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily true, but it's kind of good for business because if you, because those cats and dogs have to keep on eating CD because mm-hmm. you never really get rid of it because you're bringing it down by changing the pH, but you keep on adding the fuel to the fire with a high carbohydrate diet. Oh, so, yeah. yeah so, it, so when you hear that, this cat or this dog has been on this urinary diet for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why, because they never really got to the root of it. And that's where you guys come in. Right. And so the inflammation is just continuous. It's in that cycle. And it's so interesting because you speak about that, that bladder inflamed bladder being the tip of the iceberg, which people and and most, you know, Western vets don't really get down to below that iceberg and, and treat the actual issue versus the symptoms. And so it makes so much sense why they're in this vicious cycle regarding food and medicine and just continuing 
um, kind of that hamster wheel, um, so to speak. So, and then you've got those poor male kitties that, you know, a female kitty, she can get recurrent bladder infections and she can get crystals and, and even itty bitty stones she can, she can excrete, but those poor neutered males. So they're neutered. So, uh, so their urethra is already smaller because you've taken away all their natural um, sex hormones by neutering them. Mm-hmm. So now their urethra is smaller and kind of uh, rudimentary, essentially. But then you set up this, this crystal formation and stone formation, and my God, they cannot get those stones all the way through their urethra. And that's when mm. you get these obstructed male cats that are just, you know, they literally die from it. Mm. Um, and Sounds it's horrible. It's, yeah, it's absolutely horrible. It's not, it, it, it's beyond just poor quality of life. Mm-hmm. It's life threatening for those sure. kitties. So what, what would you say would be um, maybe just getting into diet a little bit deeper? What is, what do you see the best diet for? Um, dogs and cats to keep their pH at an optimal level. Yeah, it's it's all about meat. So mm-hmm. um, we think of the food pyramid as meat at the top mm-hmm. and fruits and vegetables and grains at the bottom. The food pyramid for a dog and a cat are the opposite. Mm. It should be high um, meat content and organs, mm-hmm. smaller amounts of vegetables, even smaller amounts of fruits, and then minimal to no grains. Mm-hmm. And if, if you look at that and you say, okay, it just makes sense that dogs and cats are carnivores and they should absolutely eat as a carnivore. I mean, that kind of, to me, is just obvious sense. But then if you take it a step further and say, okay, carbohydrates have high, particularly grains, have high magnesium and we want to decrease the amount of magnesium in meats, they're high phosphorus and low magnesium. So Mm. by feeding a higher meat diet, you're automatically decreasing the amount of the substrate that is needed to develop the crystals. Hmm. And so you're not only going species appropriate, but then the fact that meat has higher phosphorus and lower magnesium is yet one more indication that that's the correct way to feed them. And that this chronic bladder issues are the tip of the iceberg of chronic nutritional abuse. Mm, Very well said. That's that is exactly how I feel about it. It's just this chronic abuse that can they stay alive on a high carbohydrate diet? Yep. Yes, they can. Sure. Not so much for the neutered male kitties, um, mm. but females and dogs can. Um, but can they thrive on it? No. And I Uh, What I find fascinating as a veterinarian, especially holistic veterinarian, is the more you get, you kind of start out with this big idea that they're obvious, that dogs and cats are obviously carnivores and should be fed as such. But then as you get deeper into it, 
there continually comes up facts that reflect even more that mm-hmm. absolutely they need to be fed as carnivores. So, you know, even if you could say, well, they can eat grains just fine, but they can't because right. now it's high magnesium. Mm-hmm. Makes so, sense. Um, so what I would say to um, pet owners that have recurrent bladder infections, that have struvite crystals, that have had stones is you need to change to a species appropriate diet so that you're not allowing um, those substrates to be higher. And um, for kitties, I would look at the amount of ash that's Mm -hmm. in the dry food. And because ash is a reflection of minerals. So when they're doing the laboratory analysis and they take a food and then they burn it down. And what's left is the ash. And what's left is basically um, the calcium, the magnesium, the phosphorus, all of the minerals that are in it. And you want to feed a lower mineral diet. If you're feeding a lower mineral diet, you're also not providing all those substrates for the crystals to develop. Interesting. Okay. So in general, I know you talked a little bit about some of the things that should be avoided, um, grains, starch, you know, those sorts of things, anything else that, that really should be avoided, um, that, you know, could, to, could disrupt that, um, I guess the body in general. And of course also the bladder. Yeah. You know, it, it seems silly that I'm even saying it, but moisture. I mean, cats, um, dogs have a, a normal thirst center in their brain. So mm-hmm. if a if a dog's um, blood becomes thickened, the thirst center in a dog's brain says, I'm becoming dehydrated, I need to drink more. So dogs will tend to drink more to make up for a dry diet. Mm-hmm. So if they're eating kibble and it's dry, they're thirst center of their brain is reactive enough to say that I need to add more moisture to it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not the case with cats because cats should get their moisture from the prey that they eat. Right. So um, there was a study that looked at um, wild kitties and what they ate. And it was basically small rodents and birds. And that the percentage of moisture in the food that they ate every day was up in the 67% range. Mm -hmm. So a domesticated house cat where we're feeding them a dry kibble, that's got a moisture of about 5%. Mm. And so you're not feeding them as much moisture as they should get. But in the wild, they were eating those small creatures. So their thirst center of their brain is not as sensitive as a human is or a dog is. So kitties who eat dry food tend tend to be chronically dehydrated Mm -hmm. because their thirst center of their brain is not signaling that they should be drinking. So Mm -hmm. as a holistic veterinarian, when I see a dog or I see a kitty drinking water, I think, wow, Mm -hmm. that is a really dehydrated kitty. Um, because they should naturally get it from their food. So I would say if you can afford to add canned canned food to their diet, to a kitty's diet, that will add moisture to it. Mm-hmm. That will definitely make a difference. And, and 
you know, I'm not, I'm not in the, uh, I don't have a pet store, but I'm saying, I think that most kitties should be eating canned or moist food. Mm-hmm. And do you, can you, um, leave some dry food out for them? I guess, but I'm a, I'm a strong believer that it's all about moisture. So particularly in those poor, um, neutered male cats, it's super and super important that they have lots of moisture in their diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, there's so many um, options now uh, for moisture and you could go with, you know, a, a nice bone broth or, you know, Perfect. something like that, just to give them that extra um, moisture that they're lacking. Yes. I, I hear what you're saying. And I, um, anytime someone says my cat just drinks excessively um, that is always a red flag to me um, because yeah. as a desert creature, they're not, they're just, that's not how they're designed. And another thing that's also very um, good is when a, a client says, you know, I changed to this raw diet for my cat or, you know, whatever it was, she doesn't drink anymore. Great. Perfect. She's getting, uh, yeah. yeah, she's getting her moisture <laughs> from her food. That's exactly how nature intended it. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. That's exactly how it should be. And, and we also asked the question, why do so many kitties get kidney disease? Mm. I mean, almost all cats, what do they die of? Kidney disease. Absolutely. Because it's the final chapter of chronic lifelong dehydration. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my goodness. Such a good point. So what have you found in your practice and um, just kind of looking at these these dogs and cats in supplement-wise, getting the bladder back in balance? I know you mentioned a little bit about cranberry, but I also know that there are others. Um, what, have you, what have you seen to work well? Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say cranberry, absolutely. But in moderation, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I love is D-mannose. Mm-hmm. And D-mannose is a long-chain sugar. And the beauty of that is because it's long, it doesn't get fully digested in the GI tract. It gets absorbed into the body and then is excreted through the kidneys down into the bladder. And the beauty of that is when you excrete this long-chain sugar, all the bacteria jump on board. So they jump on this long-chain sugar. And then every time the kitty or the dog urinates, the bacteria is voided with the D-mannose. Nice. So I love D-mannose. And then I'm sure you've seen uh, Herb Smith Bladder Care. Mm -hmm. And Bladder Care is the product that I developed that was based on this whole idea of chronic inflammation, pH change, and damp heat to the bladder. So um, Bladder Care has cranberry. It has D-mannose, but then it also has a number of herbs that um, decrease inflammation to the bladder wall. So Akiba and Washi and, oh boy, um, Plantago and Dianthus, they're all really fabulous herbs that help to bring down the inflammation of the bladder wall and stop this constant recurrence. So what I say as a veterinarian is if your cat needs to eat a dry food for whatever reason, 
And there are many times that that we can't get them off of a food that they've been eating for a long time. Well, then use bladder care for the rest of their lives. So you so for the rest of that kitty's life or that dog's life, you're going to use bladder care, which is going to bring down the inflammation. It's going to change the pH. It's going to um, have stop the uh, E. coli from sticking to the walls because the one of the antioxidants in cranberry um, sticks to the little fingers on E. coli so that it can't stick to the wall. So use bladder care as a way to support bladder health for the rest of their lives. That's kind of the worst case scenario. Sure. The best case scenario is you realize it's the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. and these people come in and speak to somebody like you who also knows it's the tip of the iceberg. And then you have this talk about food mm-hmm. and you convert them from a non-species appropriate diet and a high carbohydrate diet and you switch them to something that they really should be on. And then you use bladder care for the first six weeks. Hmm. to get them adapted. So kind of a way to jumpstart it is the way that I think of it is use um, bladder care to correct the environment and then the food will maintain the environment. So, and then there can be anywhere in between. (laughs) Then you could, you could be using it long-term. You could use it short-term just to get them on the appropriate diet um, or anywhere in between. For some reason, they get sick and they are forced back onto a diet that is the only thing they'll eat. Okay, well, that's when you use bladder care. So that's kind of how I would use bladder care, but within in a bigger picture. So it's not just a one size fits all and we just use it forever. Ideally, get to the root of it. Sure. So a question about that is, what if you have a cat or kitten who hasn't necessarily shown signs of any bladder issues, but is strictly eating a kibble diet and maybe the pet owner is unable to, um, you know, add anything else in, would you go ahead and begin that as kind of a preemptive to any bladder concerns coming up? You sure could, um, or you could even bolus it. So you could do like Two, two, two days a week use sure. it to kind of correct the pH of the bladder. And be, because you would ask the question, even though a huge percentage of cats get urinary tract issues, not all of them do, right? Sure. There are some kitties that live their entire lives on a dry kibble and they survive okay. And so what is it about the genetics of that cat that allows them to withstand nutritional abuse mm-hmm, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that another cat cannot. Um, so you could use it just as a preemptive as, you know, a couple of days a week, just to, you know, a couple of days a week or a couple of days a month just mm-hmm. to kind of correct it. Um, but I'd just be watching closely and, and know that it's out there and that you could use it if you needed to. Absolutely. And it's also um, the beauty of 
this particular product that you've created, um, it also does help to shrink those um, crystals. So it it yeah, kind of makes them jelly, jellyfied, right? It, it, for lack of a better term, and exactly. so then it kind of they kind of end up coming out um, at, eventually. Yes, exactly. And I would say that for crystals, no question that mm-hmm. the crystals will kind of uh, vaporize. Essentially, they they non-crystallize, so they go back into solution. Once they develop into a stone, then it's kind of iffy. So um, I would say if they have a stone, you definitely need veterinary care. Mm-hmm. You know, you definitely don't want to get to the point that it's get small enough that it could block in the urethra mm. and then it could be a life-threatening condition. Um, so whether you need to just be monitored with the veterinarian or be aware that it could get to that point and then keep monitoring through radiographs or cystograms or have it have them surgically removed, but then know that that dog or that cat is prone to them. So then you need to be proactive, not reactive. So for the rest of that pet's life, you need to be on top of it and either maintaining, maintaining their urine health through food or supplement. Um, but most people by that time, if they get to the point that there are stones, they're well be they're they're knowledgeable about monitoring for crystals because crystals happen first. Right. Like crystals are kind of the snow of the snowball. Yes. <laughs> yes. So in summary, I mean it, it just sounds like a few things that come to mind. First of all, um, we want to create an environment that is um, less appealing to um, inflammation, to stone or crystal formation. And a, bi- a, a big way to do that, of course, is to feed a species-appropriate diet, lots of moisture, avoid high-carbohydrate uh, foods, um, whether it's grain-free or grain-in, um, and, you know, use some of these things uh, that have been proven to um, really support the bladder and help bring down that inflammation and, um, I guess, just keep that pH environment really optimal so that so that they don't continue down this vicious cycle. So um, um, in general, yes. that sounds like, you know, what, what I've taken away from today. Is there anything else you would add? No, I think that, I, I think that it's the, you know, recognizing it's the tip of the iceberg and Absolutely. that it's, it's, it's bigger than just the bladder itself. That that's the thing that brings our attention to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that makes us realize that something's not right. And hopefully coming in contact with a good store owner like you who can, or a holistic veterinarian that can say it's bigger than just the recurrent infection. It's bigger than just the crystals, bigger than just the stones or the blockage in that, in that neutered male kitty. And then find the right people that can help direct you in the right Mm -hmm. way. But you're right. It's, it's diet. It's what it's the right food. It's a lot of moisture. And then it's implementing solutions like bladder care when you need it. Mm -hmm. And if you need it long-term. Absolutely. Okay. 
Very, very good um, information today. And what I will also do is I will um, add a link to your uh, to the Herbsmith website um, so people can also Great. read up Thank a you. little bit more about um, your products, bladder care in particular, and um, they can also find them at, at Bark Avenue as well. Um, but more than anything, I think this has really been so educational for so many pet parents who they, they're really they're, they're in a, they're in a cycle and they don't understand why. And it really helps to understand that there's, again, the tip of the iceberg, that's such a great analogy, um, in helping people understand it's such a deeper issue. Um, and it has so much to do with the balance of the body. So thank you. This has been so great. You're very welcome. I'm so thrilled to partner with you and, and, have a way to be able to connect with those pet parents and take it that step further. And veterinary medicine is really great at um, treating disease, but not about supporting health and wellness. And I think fabulous stores like yours, that's what you guys are all about. You're taking on this charge of supporting health and wellness that pet parents need that veterinarians don't provide. So thank you to you. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so much, Dr. Besant. Um, I, uh, I appreciate all, you know, sharing all of your um, such great information. And um, maybe we can uh, have you revisit us at some other point, depending on what the topic is. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode, share it with someone who may also want to help their pet. You can share it now or post it on social media. Tag me in it so that I can reach back out to you. I'm so proud of you for taking steps to help your amazing furry family member. Talk to you soon.